0: Hi, my name's Pete Woolley. That was the Miseducation of Lauren Hill by Lauren Hill from the album of the same name. Um, And you're listening to the Philosophy Now radio show on Resonance FM. Today's programme is dedicated to philosophy in education. Joining me today, I've got Dr Michael Hand, currently reader of Philosophy of Education at the Institute of Education, and will shortly be taking up a chair in the Philosophy of Education at the University of Birmingham. He's also the editor of Philosophy in Schools, and was, or is, I should say, an ex-primary school teacher. I've also got with me Dr Stephen Bolter, senior lecturer in philosophy at Oxford Brookes University, author of The Rediscovery of Common Sense Philosophy. So I thought I'd start by asking you both to say maybe a little something about your, uh, what got you interested in philosophy in education about your experience, perhaps. So, Michael, if you start.
1: Okay, thank you. Well, I, um, as as you mentioned, I started out as a primary school teacher. Um, I was a teacher of um, year five children, which is ten-year-olds, and um, I decided during my teaching experience to just to have a go at teaching some philosophy to uh, the children and found they responded extraordinarily well um, the the sorts of stuff we were looking at um, were in the area of moral philosophy and philosophy of religion um, and I found that they had a great appetite for um, thinking about questions of right and wrong and what they ought and ought not to do um, and then the big metaphysical questions about life after death and the existence of God um, obviously it wasn't sophisticated high powered philosophical discussion but it was definitely philosophy, um, and uh, from that point onwards, I was firmly convinced that there was um, something worthwhile um, here, something worth exploring, and, um, and I've remained interested in the area from that point.
0: Well, that's great. Thank you very much, and we'll probably come back to some of those points a bit later on, I think. Um, Stephen. Yes, uh, thanks for having me.
2: I uh, come by my interest in philosophy and education somewhat differently. I was uh, primarily interested in philosophy, but got uh, attracted to issues about philosophy and education, when I was approached to help out with the development of the Scottish Higher uh, and Advanced Higher in Philosophy uh, in the in the late nineties, and that struck me as a very interesting prospect and. Uh, became interested in the the issues of whether philosophy should be taught in schools because there was a fair bit of opposition amongst professional philosophers to uh, uh, the idea. And I became interested in why that might be the case, whether those reasons were good ones, and um, ultimately came to the view that uh, they were not good ones and that uh, philosophy does have a place in schools, both primary and secondary, and uh, have been interested in these sorts of issues ever since.
0: Great, thank you very much. Um, and I probably ought to say something about my my own background. Is I've got some experience in the field too, and I'm kind of straddling two roles today, both as the um, interviewer, but also I'll, I will be uh, contributing to some extent, having um, the experience as the co-founder of the charity, the Philosophy Foundation, which deals very much in work in primary and secondary schools and bringing philosophy to to those sectors. And also, I'm the author of the If Machine: Philosophical Inquiry in the Classroom. So. Can I begin the discussion by asking, can children do philosophy? Let's see what you've got to say about that. Um, Let's start again with Michael.
1: Okay, well, uh, as as I suggested a moment ago, I think the answer to that is definitely yes. Um, I think... (sighs) There are some things that get in the way of people accepting that children can do philosophy, and, and one of which is is the idea that philosophy is somehow um, uh, involves higher order thinking skills, or is a higher order form of inquiry that is somehow beyond the cognitive capabilities of children. Um, and I think this is this is just mythology, really. Um, uh, lots of philosophy is is fairly prosaic in character and doesn't seem to me to require huge leaps of abstraction. Um, if we think about conceptual analysis. Um, just getting clear about what we mean by the words we use. Um, that's the sort of inquiry that, that can be started on at a very early age, I think. Um, or just um, looking at whether premises and conclusions are appropriately related to one another. Does, does such and such a conclusion fo- follow from the premises introduced? Um, and I think, again, from an early age, children can start to see whether, whether a conclusion follows from the premises. Um, and, can, and they can certainly ask questions about what they mean by the terms they use. So I certainly think we can get children going on um, the building blocks of philosophy even if it's true that we can't get them to wrestle with, with philosophy at its most metaphysically abstract
2: Great. Thank you Well I, I entirely concur that with my experience uh, it, that's that's exactly right um, um, and it's one of the uh, one of the arguments that has been used that we shouldn't be going into philosophy with, uh, into schools uh, doing philosophy too early precisely because they're not cognitively prepared um, and there's a lot of work recently to suggest that that's simply not the case. So it's not simply anecdotal evidence. Uh, there's mm. a lot of uh, developmental psychology which suggests that uh, kids are actually far more cognitively sophisticated than we've given them credit for. And if you take the time to have a conversation with a child and you do it properly, uh, they, uh, they can and very often do surprise you. Uh, and that's one of the pleasures of, of doing it.
0: Well, it, it might be worth my putting my, my bid in here as well. Um, and certainly from m- my experience in the classroom, uh, the children seem to struggle with philosophy if you're trying to do philosophy with just one child. So if you're trying to s- do philosophy with one child, I, f- I think that f- starts to be very difficult for them. And primarily because a single child doesn't have the, the variety of r- responses um and can't see this or very often can't see all the possibilities the discussion can go Uh, whereas it seems that once you get a group of children together the variety of uh, ideas starts to happen spontaneously and they start to naturally want to criticise each other in a way that they might not with themselves. So it seems that um, it's not long if you've got a group of 30 children before you're able, if it's properly facilitated, to get those children doing philosophy. Um, very often we talk about having this second order or um, uh, meta way of thinking about Um, when we do philosophy and that's the bit that the child child on his own finds difficult to do with 30, I think much more easy Um, right, so it's all very well thinking uh, whether or not children can do philosophy but should they? some people may say it's dangerous we shouldn't put these ideas in front of children they're not uh, capable um, of dealing with the sorts of worries and concerns that philosophy can put to them so what do we think of that?
1: Well, I, I think there's two kinds of justification that that seem to me to be particularly powerful. Two two kinds of reason why it it is valuable to teach children philosophy. Um, One of which has to do with just clear thinking. I think it's tremendously important in all sorts of areas of life, in our political lives and in our um, professional lives, even in our personal lives, to, to be able to think stuff through properly. And I think philosophy is a really good discipline for just helping us figure out what we actually think and whether we're justified in thinking what we think (laughs) and and helping us to change our minds if we think the wrong thing um so i I think philosophy is a really good um foundation for for really sharp and clear thinking um but isn't this just critical thinking you're talking about really rather than philosophy perhaps but i don't think that matters um I mean, I don't. I, that distinction doesn't worry me too much. Uh, I think if if we take it to be the case that philosophy is does have a, a, a fundamental concern with with clarity of concepts and uh, rigor of argument and um, the detection of fallacies in argument and, and all of those sorts of things, and if we and, and perhaps critical thinking has exactly the same set of concerns, and in that respect they overlap. That's absolutely fine. There's no, I don't, I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> But just to come back to, to the other kinds of justification, the other reason why I think children should learn philosophy is is to do with normative inquiry. Uh, I, I think there's very, very few C- Can you say something very quickly about
0: what you mean by normative inquiry?
1: Thinking carefully about what we ought to do, um, uh, both in our personal lives and in our political lives, that I think there are very few opportunities in the school curriculum to, to think hard about ought questions. Uh, There's lots of attention to um, different kinds of factual knowledge and different kinds of explanation, but remarkably little opportunity to think about the kind of life I ought to live, the way I ought to vote, the kind of policies I ought to support um, in government, um, what career I ought to pursue, what kind of what moral code I should adopt? All of these, these these basic normative questions that are absolutely at the heart of everybody's lives. And yet there's so few opportunities to, to really engage with those in schools. And philosophy is one of the few disciplines that I think can um, really help children think through... Um, those sorts of normative questions can interrogate uh, normative um, considerations um, and and come to intelligent judgments about the right way to vote and the right way to live. Um, so that, that's the other sort of basic justification for, for philosophy in the curriculum, I think.
2: I'm just wondering, uh, your question was about whether it's possibly dangerous to introduce uh, philosophy to children too quickly. And I know this is a, a concern I've had in the past because there have been stories floated around that adolescents at a particularly troubled time of their life might find that philosophical reflection was something that shakes up their conceptual worldview, is actually very troubling, and they might, um, who knows, uh, start going down a path we wish they wouldn't go down. And if you remember that Camus asking us, or telling us, I should say, that the only the only philosophical question is why we don't commit suicide, then you can start to see why under certain contexts, the kind of critical thinking that you're talking about, the kind of thinking that might make people undermine their worldview, for certain personality types can be very, very challenging. Um, And I think that's something that has to be borne in mind. Uh, And a good facilitator should be on the lookout for those sorts of things. But I think this is a way of making philosophy sound far more exciting than it really is. Uh, It's nice to hear that uh, Camus got exciting things to say about philosophy. I think it's more prosaic generally, and so the fears of the dangers of philosophy, I I think are very much exaggerated. Nonetheless, I think we have to be aware that these sorts of things can uh, arise, uh, and so a good facilitator should be aware, alert to that possibility.
0: Indeed. And, of course, we um, at the Philosophy Foundation train... graduates to go into the classroom and to work with children and one of the things that we have to make sure that they're aware of is what would be appropriate and what's not appropriate to to um work to say to children i once heard a philosopher say oh yes i was talking to my grandchild the other day and i was trying to explain the evil demon argument to them <laughs> And i thought to myself oh that's not perhaps the best way to start doing philosophy with young
1: children so but i wonder how much of a of a worry this is i, mean, it, I certainly don't recognize it as uh, as <laughs> as philosophy <laughs> the kind of philosophers I encounter and the kind of philosophy I do doesn't seem to me to, to, to bring me up against deep existential despair any more than the next person. So it's, I mean, I think I agree with you, it is on the whole a much more prosaic affair than, than that. And and in any case, I mean, the Holocaust is on the primary school curriculum. I mean, children are, are exposed to some pretty horrific and profound and deep, horrible things in life uh, on the curriculum as it stands. So I don't think um, sort of bringing philosophy into the picture is going to somehow make that worse or or introduce a whole new dimension of despair that they're not already encountering. Hmm.
0: Uh, Would I be able to come back to the question of normative, uh, or let's uh, put it into normal English, shoulds and oughts? Um, There's lots of things that children should learn, and, and there are a lot of people, perhaps a lot of listeners, who might be thinking... Um, Well, shouldn't we just teach them a set of moral values and instill these values in them? Um, What's the purpose of doing philosophy, which which many people will be worried could be, in some way, undermining of the values of society?
1: Yeah. Yeah. (coughs) Okay, so I'm certainly not saying that... um, philosophy should replace basic moral education. I think it's absolutely right that there are um, basic moral principles about not cheating or stealing or <laughs> killing and that, that we should of course teach us, us morality as the kind of the, the core of morality um, and there's lots of uh, dispositions, um, courage, decency, uh, respect for others that we should be cultivating in young people. So teaching philosophy is not about sort of giving up on the more directive forms of moral education. But but that's that's pretty minimal stuff. Um, there are there are an awful lot of questions left about how we should live and how we should vote and what sort of um, uh, government we should support and want and uh, what careers we should undertake and how we should conduct ourselves professionally. Have lots and lots of questions that conti- that arise after we've got clear about the fact that we sh- shouldn't go around killing and stealing and cheating um, so I think that's, that's a pretty sort of low level um, of starting points um, I think the really interesting big normative questions um, uh, are, are other than those questions I would agree with
2: that I, I think the uh The first order prima facie duties, to use the language of of a Ross, uh, uh, I don't think philosophers are are interested in undermining, but I think the, the interesting philosophical thinking comes into play when those prima facie duties are conflicting, and that's when interesting moral thinking and moral development takes place when a child knows, for example, that uh, under normal circumstances, lying is not the right thing to do, but there might be circumstances in which you might want to be less than fully honest, and and part of moral development is knowing how to Mm -hmm. read the circumstances you're in and know which one of your duties takes precedence, and that is an interesting kind of moral thinking that um, needs to be developed and is uh, something that we need to get everywhere, actually, not just in schools, but more generally.
0: If I understand you correctly, um, this, this chimes with my own experience in the classroom. i run a session on the Ring of Gyges, which, of course, comes from the story of Plato, in which he, he asks us to imagine that we find a, an invisible, a, a ring of invisibility. And the, the principal aim behind this question is, is uh, to get us to think, what would we do if we couldn't be caught? Do we still have a motivation to do good? And what's really interesting about this session, having run it for, for many years now, is that, is that very often the teachers feel a little uncomfortable when we first do the p- first part of the session, because the first part is, is what would you do with the ring, and then the second part is what should you do with the ring. And we end up with these two very different lists and the children explore the difference between them. And essentially we're trying to get to the question of what, um, what's the difference between would and should, and this helps the children to explore the issues. But of course um, this this session has become very much more pertinent recently in the light of the riots that happened last year. Um, and one of the things that the teachers feel uncomfortable with is that I don't moralise to the children when they say some outrageous things. Um, so there's the, 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 um, they, they might say that it's good to steal and cheat and do all these things uh, without really thinking because they don't feel as though they're going to be caught out you see in this session. And um, and I'm always, I always have to try and explain to the teacher that there's a real purpose to this and I think it's in what you were saying between these these conflicting prima facie um, values mm-hmm. uh, Because there's, the children often they will say something like um, I shouldn't hit people back if they hit me If the teacher asks them is it good to hit people back when they hit you they'll say no because that's the received belief That's what they've been brought up to believe by their teachers and parents, but then of course um, in the playground they will hit someone back. And if you say, why did you do that? He hit me first. So there's a set of operational beliefs which are very different from the received beliefs. And from what I understand, and also this is confirmed not just by what I've read but also from what I've seen in the classroom, is that the more children explore the, the dissonance between these two sets of beliefs, the more they start to think it through then they can build towards some concord between those two sets of operational and received beliefs, so I think there 's real value in allowing the children to explore in their own time through these the, these moral issues rather than simply uh, listing uh, things which children are always going to just say whatever set of received beliefs they think the teacher is after. Um, I think i wouldn 't play some more music at this stage.
1: things that you do
2: Think for yourself cause I will be there with you Do what you want to do And go where you're going to Think for yourself cause
0: Was "Think for Yourself" by the Beatles uh, from the album Rubber Soul. Um, I probably don't need to say much about why that's there. Um, right, so Stephen, you wanted to elucidate a little bit more on the, the point that was the last point that was being made.
2: Yeah, when you were you were talking about uh, what a child might know they're supposed to say about a particular moral issue, like "don't hit back if somebody hits you" or something like that. But the way they'll behave in the playground. Uh, will very often not uh, fit neatly with what they're told they should say about moral matters. Uh, and I, I like that uh, picture because I think that happens a lot. And that's where I think philosophical thinking tends to take off. Um, if a student or a pupil or an adult or whoever it is is being told contradictory things either in the moral realm or in the purely intellectual realm, things that don't fit together into a nice coherent picture, then there is a call for a certain kind of reflection at that point. What am I supposed to make of what people are telling me? I've got good reasons to believe this on the one hand, but I've also got good reasons to believe this on the other. They seem to not be uh, gelling. Uh How do I make sense of reality if I'm getting contradictory reports Mm. like this? And this happens not just in the moral realm, but I say in the sciences and in, in the other disciplines. And one of the reasons why I think there's call for the teaching of philosophy in schools is because there are problems like this, which are genuine problems, which are not handled by any of the other disciplines. I can't farm it out to chemistry or to physics or whoever to answer conflicts of that sort. And philosophy is particularly well-placed to start teasing out the issues that allow you to start making sense of how the world hangs together. And it's one of the reasons why I think it, it really should be in schools, because kids are trying to make sense of, how, of the world. They're trying to make sense of how things hang together, and they are quite right that the world does not make sense.
0: So, so might it be right to say um, that to those critics that say that um, philosophy just undermines values and mm-hmm. confuses people more than anything else, um, you might have a response along the lines, well, the world is confusing anyway, and the messages that they're receiving are contradictory. And this is adding to that confusion. So philosophy is best placed to perhaps um, enable someone to make sense of these. Philosophy comes on the
2: scene after confusion has already set in. That's why we start to philosophize rather than just sticking with the first order disciplines. The first order disciplines told stories that fit together into a nice Mm. coherent a picture of reality our place in it, there wouldn't be a call for philosophy. It's precisely because there is confusion already in place that there's a call for a different kind of reflection. Great.
0: Thank you very much. Um, for, for listeners who may have just joined us, um, I'm Pete Worley, and this is the Philosophy Now radio show on Resonance FM. Um, I have with me Dr. Stephen Bolton and Dr. Michael Hand, who are joining me to talk about philosophy in education. And we're, we're exploring we've been exploring some of the issues um, or justifications perhaps for doing philosophy with children, whether or not children can uh, indeed do philosophy. It might be nice to turn to the question of, well, Stephen's already brought us nicely to the question of um, whether or not schools should include philosophy in their curriculum in some way. Michael. (laughs)
1: Well, yes. (laughs) Um I'm not sure what to say about this, in addition to what i've what I've already said, um, but perhaps I can uh, elaborate a bit on the claim earlier that um, it's about a space for normative uh, thinking um, by normative thinking again I' mean thinking about questions of ought and should questions of value um, and i I completely agree with with Stephen that this is one of the the kinds of questions that there just isn't room for elsewhere in the curriculum um, and and I've said this. This takes place in all sorts of areas other than basic morality. But um, clearly these questions do apply to basic morality as well. But I think the the point to be made there would be it, is, it, isn't, it isn't really about doubting that there's something wrong with cheating or stealing or lying. It's about coming to understand why cheating and stealing and lying are wrong in the same sort of way as philosophical questions in maths are about coming to understand why 2 and 2 equals 4 or or, or, or in, in in the natural sciences about, about why our basic perceptions of um, the physical world are reliable so there, there are questions underneath science and mathematics and morality um, which which are worth exploring in order to kind of see what kind of foundations, if any foundations, our, our kind of knowledge in these first order domains has um, and that seems to me just as legitimate in the area of uh, morality as it does in, in any other Area, but I don't, I don't buy the idea that sort of raising the question of what a m- moral values based on is somehow going to lead to a sort of moral nihilism or a, a collapse in, in young in young people's values.
0: So, how would you respond to the people that would say, and that's probably a lot of them out there that would simply say, well, there, there isn't room for for something like philosophy in the curriculum. We need to make sure the kids are learning the basics, make sure they're learning how to read and write and, and arithmetic. How would you respond to those people?
1: <coughs> well, it, uh, it just seems to me to miss the point that children are in school for 15,000 hours, and it doesn't take 15,000 hours to learn the basics. Um, it's, a, it's about a preparation for the whole of life, um, and life clearly depends on a grasp of um, literacy and numeracy and... Um, basic moral rules and, and all of those things I'm not suggesting for a minute that those aren't central to education but, but education is much bigger than that kids are in school for a long time and they have the opportunity to discover all sorts of weird and wonderful things through their, um, their, their time in school um, and one of the things they should have an opportunity to discover is philosophy and what it can offer them um, so, so I don't, I don't, I'm not very sympathetic to that worry Stephen?
0: And why do you respond to those those voices?
2: I like the idea of of basics and taking taking care of the basics and reading and writing. And um, my initial response to to that line of thinking is, well, if you want the basics, you better get to philosophy. Because one of my experiences with students is when they're going through, uh, particularly secondary school They're asking philosophical questions about the material they're being taught in their first-order disciplines, say chemistry or history, or I mean, how often have you heard students saying, "Why do I have to learn this?" Or, "Why is this important?" Well, those are philosophical questions about the curriculum. That's part of basics. How are we going to keep students engaged if they don't have answers to those sorts of questions?
0: Are they necessarily philosophical questions? I mean, for instance, couldn't couldn't someone say, well, you're learning counting so that you can add up when you go to the shops and you're learning to write? These could be very practical responses to why I'm learning to read or write. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, They don't have to be profound uh, philosophical questions. But part of the, the, the reason for asking these things is what's the educational process for? Why are these adults forcing me to go through this rather long process of formal education? Do I not deserve an explanation as to why they're asking me to learn all of these? Now, I'm not suggesting there aren't answers to these questions, but they're very often not provided to students. And I know that a lot of students would find it a lot easier to engage and put the effort in. Uh, into what can be very taxing studies, if they saw the point, and very often that will be part of a picture about what it is to be an educated person, why we are t- asking you to do this and I think those are important questions. Another kind of basic uh, uh, point about philosophy is epistemological um, if you If you spent any time with students who are taking chemistry, for example. They're presented with rather complex, very abstract theories of the atom and underlying chemical reactions and whatnot. And there isn't very often an explicit explanation as to why they should believe there are such things as atoms with these particular component parts that engage in these reactions in these sorts of ways. There's lots of good reasons for believing these stuff, but they don't necessarily explain the epistemological groundings of a lot of the theories they're asked to.
0: So when you say epistemological, you mean knowledge-based?
2: Knowledge-based. I have a daughter right now doing chemistry, so this is anecdotal, but why should I believe that there are atoms with electrons in these particular configurations? They just tell me this in school, and I'm, I'm tearing my hair out, well, actually, there's very good reasons for why you should believe in atoms. They should be telling you these reasons. They should be explaining what the empirical foundations of this are. So you're not just sitting, I'm learning all of this stuff, which could be you know, complete fabrication as far as uh, students are concerned. I, I, I just have to learn it. And then you shut off. If you don't deal with the basic questions as to why I ought to believe why you are telling me this, then... I think you're, you're, you're missing the boat with the students, and they're, they're going to disengage.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of points I might want to add in response to these, these critics. Why should philosophy be included in schools? Well, ca- carrying on from what you just said, and something that I think, Michael, you've said before that I've picked up from you, is that there's a sense in which philosophy is inescapable. There's a sense in which you, you can't really get away from it at some point, In your studies, there's going to be questions that come to you. And such as the ones you've just, the examples you've just given us about atoms, um, but I've noticed that this happens uh, from a younger age too. Children do straight away start to engage with the question of change at a very young age when they see that they're being asked to accept uh, concepts or ideas which are uh, static and, and, and seem to be unchanging, um, and yet their experience is about change all the time. So there's a conflict there between these, and children will ask questions about change, um, but also. It seems that um, when we're talking about the basics, um, arguably, philosophy, or the thing that philosophy deals in, that's reasoning and concepts, is arguably even more basic than reading, writing, and arithmetic. These are possibly the things which underpin reading, writing, and arithmetic, and one good reason for you know, such things as the Cambridge Review and others saying that reading and writing writing, arithmetic haven't improved in such a long time. Well, one possible reason is because no one's really stopping to think well, what is it that's underpinning these things that perhaps the children need to learn better Um, rather than simply trying to improve reading and writing without thinking about the causes and it seems to me that possibly concepts and reasoning would be good candidates for the things which underpin them Um, and On top of that, you've got the further argument that possibly philosophy is the best subject for teaching reasoning and concepts because it's dedicated to it and also it allows the children to explore ideas um, and to test their concepts and reasoning um, out in a conceptual way. So in other words, what I mean by that is that they don't have to have bodies of knowledge, such as science knowledge or history knowledge, in order to explore um the issues uh, the conceptual issues that underlie it i don't know if anybody would like to come back to me on any of those points but um
1: <clears throat> i think i wanted to raise a, a, a slightly tangential point about um the role of teaching here um it is sometimes suggested that, that teaching is not really necessary in this area, that, that children are sort of natural philosophers, and if you if you raise, ch- chuck some interesting questions into the pot, they will just start philosophising. That seems to me not to get things quite right. I'm not sure that doing philosophy comes any more naturally than doing maths or doing science. I do think these things need to be taught, and, and even reasoning, I think, needs to be modelled and um, and explained to young people. Um, so, it's, it's really important, I think, to, to Attend to uh, the techniques that philosophers use, and to give give young people a flavour of what it is to reason, what it is to draw a valid inference, um, to get clear about a concept, to um, to move from a premise to a conclusion. Um, so that 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 I think is often neglected in um, some of the things one reads about philosophy in schools.
2: I'm, I'm just wondering if you're if particularly you've got in mind. Um, programs like philosophy for children, uh, where there there doesn't seem to be a role for the traditional teacher, is that is that what you're you're thinking?
1: I think so. I think no. the philosophy for children movement I think is very broad, and I'm, I absolutely wouldn't want to to generalise across that whole movement. But there are certainly strands of it which do seem to to to, to reduce the role of the teacher very much to a, a sort of facilitator of discussion, and, and and not someone who's who's actively teaching um, children how to mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, this is very, very much one of the central
0: concerns of us at the Philosophy Foundation. Is that um, when I first came to seeing philosophy being done in the um, traditional P4C way, I was concerned that that no one really was um, concerned about the extent to which people knew what philosophy was and how, therefore, how to facilitate it. It seems if somebody doesn't is not trained in philosophy and doesn't know what sort of thing it can do, then there's a, a real danger that the children simply aren't going to know when they've found it, and neither is the facilitator. I think Socrates uh, or Plato said something along these lines with his paradox of of inquiry. Um, so so it seems to me that there, there needs to be some sort of subject knowledge there. But interestingly, there's two strands for this, where this can go. One is that facilitators... Um, of those doing philosophy with children should be those trained in philosophy so perhaps philosophy undergraduates and people such as that but maybe there's a sense in which an element of philosophy needs to enter into teacher training too um and one thing i certainly advocate is that is that teacher training should include some certainly on one level some critical thinking so they should learn more about argumentation fallacies and all that sort of stuff because teachers are often taught a lot of stuff about psychology and they're often reasonably well versed in psychological terms and concepts but perhaps not not arguments and critical thinking but then on top of that there might even be a further argument for including some kind of um, philosophical content as part of their teacher training as well although I'll leave it open uh, at this stage might be nice to play some more music at this stage um Reborn by Dario Marianelli. It's from the score for the film for V for Vendetta. Um, Right, well, I'm Pete Worley, and you're listening to the Philosophy Now radio show on Resonance FM. We're talking about philosophy in education, and um, I've got with me Dr Michael Hand and Dr Stephen Boulter. And I thought, okay, so... It seems that we're all agreed that (laughs) philosophy should be done and philosophy can be done. What about the practicalities? If philosophy's going to be done in schools, um, how might it be done? And what sort of problems might it face, do you think? So, um...
1: So, So, So one problem is, um... Uh, teachers' familiarity with this uh, subject area, that um, that there are a number of really interesting initiatives to uh, get philosophy into primary schools at the moment um, and a number of opportunities for teachers to to do a little bit of training in the area. Um, And and a really challenging question, I think, is is the degree to which one needs... um, a FOA foundation in the discipline. Um, I'm not persuaded that one needs a kind of deep and extensive subject knowledge, that one needs to be versed in the whole canon of um, Western philosophy in order to get started here. At the same time, um, it's clearly not going to be enough for someone who has been um, completely unexposed to philosophy um, for their whole life to this point to go, to go on a two-day training course and come back equipped to teach the subject. So... There were, there was, I th- so I think a real challenge here is, is this question of um, the degree to which it's, it, it's possible to get, to get teachers started on this. Um, but just to say a little bit uh, about what I think's is needed. Um, I really don't think one needs to know lots and lots about what Plato said and Kant said and Hume said. Uh, one needs to have a feel for... Um, the difference between conceptual questions and normative questions, on the one hand, and, and the sort of em- empirical and factual questions that are the bread and butter of most of the rest of the curriculum. Um, and I think, so long as one understands what it is to engage in a in, in, a, in a conceptual inquiry um, or to engage in a normative inquiry, then I think you can get started and you can get kids started um, wrestling with these sorts of questions. Um, so it's about it's about kind of. Having a nose, I think, for, for kind of <laughs> what, what a philosophical issue is um, and and of course, being steeped in the in the philosophical classics is is one way of developing that nose, but I think it 's possible to do it quicker than that um, and, and and without a, an undergraduate degree in philosophy um, but i don 't know Pete, this is something that I know you 're involved in 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 the philosophy foundation um, the the preparing teachers to to go in and teach philosophy with young people what What are your views on this well I think um, although some
0: knowledge of the classics and the, 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 what philosophers have said in the past can sometimes be useful, it seems to me that the emphasis needs to be much more on the doing of philosophy, um, the process of thinking, the, the way in which one is thinking through, the way in which what one is saying is um, is reasoned well or not reasoned well, and the ability for the children or anybody involved in doing philosophy to see... To see um, and um, those reasons and to challenge them. Um, and it seems that the, the the thing that I think anybody who's engaging in philosophy would need to know is more how those sort of processes can be brought about, how they can be facilitated, how the children or anyone can be um, uh, helped to move forward through them. And that seems to me much more important. Now, of course, when you're working on secondary school level, the subject knowledge will become um, different, and I think it's more important that you do know that Kant said this and how he said that and when he said it, perhaps even to some extent. Um, however, I still think that the, um, the model of inquiry should be such that um, the philosophers are introduced into the context of how the children are thinking. So they should be thinking through first then learning the philosophers as they are as it is appropriate to what it is that they've said and reasoned rather than starting with the philosophers and then thinking about it afterwards um it's it's also very intimidating doing that if you're coming to philosophy for the first time Stephen, anything to add on this
2: uh, yeah this is a, a question that I've, I've agonized over a lot because i, I think i'm Probably not quite as sanguine as as, as both of you um, on this issue. I think it really depends on what kind of philosophy you're talking about. If you're talking mm-hmm. about philosophical inquiries or communities of inquiry, then um, you don't need to have an undergraduate degree. And as you say, if you're going to move on to teach Hume, then clearly you do. But uh, that seems to open the door to a far more relaxed uh, set of criteria about who is who is appropriate for doing this. But if if philosophical inquiry or communities of inquiry is going to be more than critical thinking, and you've already said you're not too worried about whether it's more than that, and uh, if it is to be more than that, then I think you are going to have to have more than just a smattering of... Um, A background in in, in the major people, you're going to need to know something about the various philosophical methods, and that's going to be more than just a matter of, can you recognize connections between premises and conclusions? Do you know what a fallacy is? These sorts of things. Um, Philosophical method is actually rather difficult, and it's a very contentious area of the discipline. It's why it's one of the most interesting parts of of the discipline. All the major philosophers have their own particular methodology that's involved. So I would, I would want teachers to at least know something about the various approaches that have been taught. Even if they don't know the, everything about the Republic or everything about the meditations, at least they should be able to recognize different ways of approaching a philosophical question and how those are distinct from what happens in other disciplines. You're not going to get that in a two-week training seminar. Uh, is it impossible for someone to get that level without having an undergrad degree i think that's an open question
0: something i often hear said um about philosophy in schools by children and teachers and is is that the philosophy is great because there's no right and wrong answers um do either of you have a view on that
1: my personal view on it is it's a spectacularly unhelpful um thing to say about philosophy. Um <clears throat> there are certainly lots of philosophical questions that we have that we have yet to come up with <laughs> a satisfactory answer to. <laughs> but um I don't think it's true to say that um that uh, conceptual and normative questions in general have no right answers. I think there there are lots of um conceptual questions that we can answer perfectly well. Um and it seems to me an unhelpful way to go into philosophy thinking this is a domain in which there's no, there's no such thing as a difference between a right answer and a wrong answer it would it would render the whole enterprise pointless it seems to me so i, I think that's myself that's not a helpful way to to think about the discipline i i agree with
2: that I, I it's one of the things i drum into my first year students if you think philosophy is that discipline where there are no right answers then what are you doing here why are we spending any time thinking about these things? This is this is pointless. Um, I don't believe what I'm doing is pointless. I don't believe the discipline is pointless. So clearly, there's something askew with this criticism. Um,
0: or it, could just, or it could just be that you're mistaken and that it is pointless.
2: I could be, but the reason why I'm not too concerned about that possibility is that I've got a view of what a philosophical question looks like, and given the logical structure of a philosophical question, there are always going to be more than one answer in logical space. And so the difficulties of, of uh, answering a philosophical question are really ones of deciding which of... A series of logical possibilities are are the is the best overall, and that is the kind of judgment where philosophical sensibilities reasonably differ. No one is involved in a cognitive error if they choose one mistake over another or one answer over another. But there's something about the nature of philosophical questions that allows for rational disagreement. But that doesn't mean any question or any answer, I should say, is as good as any other. That's simply not the case.
1: I think it is, I think it is worth saying that, that probably in most cases the the claim that philosophy is a subject in which there are no right or wrong answers is just a bad way of saying something different, which is that lots of interesting philosophical questions we don't know the answer to, and that's quite liberating for young people um it's quite liberating for them to get to wrestle with a question where the teacher doesn't already know the answer where it's just about second guessing what's what (laughs) what's in the teacher's head and where they know they're supposed to get to so i i I do buy that there is something liberating about um enabling young people to to engage with questions where where we really don't know what the answer is um and and i think probably that's what's behind. this this claim, um, but it's just not a helpful way of expressing it.
2: Yeah. want back back yeah.
1: this up um, is. I think you're right.
2: It, it, it's uh, what they're trying to get at is a useful thing, and I think one of the most exciting things that students can can come to appreciate is that the adults, the teachers, don't know everything. And part of what an education is about is learning out, learning how to find out the answers to questions that haven't been answered yet and that's the exciting liberating part where you know the teacher's not just going to tell me this i'm going to have to work this out for myself maybe in conjunction with um, other students but things are open in that way but it's not because there's no right answer it's that we don't know it yet and this is we're inviting you to come in to this conversation uh, uh, and see what absolutely. contribution
0: you can make Hmm. So even though there might not be an answer to the question of whether or, God, whether or not God exists, there can be, the children can assess whether or not an answer that's given makes sense, or whether an answer that's given, yeah. it would be a candidate for being a right answer. Yeah. And it seems yeah. to me that in a way that's what philosophy is doing. Yeah. But you're absolutely, I agree with both of you, that, that, um, that in a way it's useful, because, because what it's really trying to do is to get the teacher to stop saying what they think the answer is um and in that sense it can be very helpful
2: this is one of the reasons why having uh, (coughs) the teacher take the role of a facilitator rather than a teacher in a say p4c or uh, type inquiry is good and teachers should welcome this there's no reason why they can't wear a teacher's hat in one class and a facilitator's Another hour.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, and it's also quite tricky, though I think, for teachers or for anybody who's involved in teaching, uh, to to switch roles and to go from one role to the other. But you're right; it's something that could be, um, that that perhaps should be done. Mm.
1: There's one other practical issue I'd, I'd like to raise, which is the issue of um, whether, whether we're ever going to get philosophy into schools. Um, a, a poll was conducted on Radio 4 a few years ago uh, about what, what most people think is missing from the school curriculum, and philosophy won hands down. So that I think there is sort of popular support for the idea that philosophy should be taught in schools. Unfortunately, there isn't currently any political will to introduce philosophy as a curriculum subject, and, and one reason for that is the, um, the current curriculum review, the basic remit of which is actually to reduce the school curriculum. I think there's a lot of good reasons for that. It is. It is the case that the the, the national curriculum um, has come to to so. Dominate every moment of the uh, of the week in school. That there just isn't time for anything else, and and I think that's rightly been seen as a bad thing. So, um, I have some sympathy with the idea of, of slimming down the national curriculum, but but wh- one thing that means is nobody is looking to introduce a new a new subject into it. So I don't see any prospect for philosophy being introduced as a school subject anytime soon, or well, at least as part of the core curriculum. At least as part of the core curriculum. But where where it does seem to me that there's there are really exciting opportunities at the moment is in is in the space that's going going to be freed up by the reduction of the national curriculum to a core of knowledge that, that, that will only take sort of half of each week to teach now <laughs> instead of the whole of each week, and I think in, in principle at least there is a real opportunity now for, for enterprising head teachers and local authorities to to start looking about for, for other interesting things to introduce young people to in school and, and I think philosophy uh, has a real potential there to, um, to take hold.
2: I I can just say I I very much hope this this comes to pass. Uh, uh, I'm not holding my breath, but I would love to see the day.
0: So I've got one last question for you both. Um, Which philosopher would you like to see teaching your children, and which philosopher would you not? (laughs) Hands down, no
2: question for me, Aristotle. For which one? For teaching. For, for teaching. He he understood that philosophers cannot do philosophy without being teachers. Uh,
1: so there's no question about it. Hands down, Aristotle. Um, I, I can think of one who I probably wouldn't want to teach, which is Wittgenstein. He, of course, was a t- school teacher and apparently a pretty lousy one. So uh, I definitely wouldn't want Wittgenstein teaching my kids.
0: Great. Thank you very much for uh, joining us uh, today on the Philosophy Now radio show.